Her name is Gabby Petito. She's been missing since late August. And a TikToker claims that they picked up Brian Laundrie hitchhiking alone four days after Gabby Petito last made contact with her family. A TikToker claimed this, that she had picked Brian up, the fiancé of missing 22-year-old Gabby Petito, while he was hiking alone in Grand Tenton National Park four days after the family last heard from Gabby. In a series of TikTok videos posted on Friday, Miranda Baker said she and her boyfriend picked up laundry in Grand Tenton National Park in Wyoming on August 29th at around 5.30. He approached us asking for a ride because he needed to go to Jackson, and we were going to Jackson that night. So I said, hop in, and he hopped in the back of my Jeep. Baker says in one of the videos, he offered to pay us like $200 to give him a ride for like 10 miles. So that was kind of weird. Once in the car with him, Laundry reportedly told Baker that he had been camping for multiple days without his fiance, who was working on her social media page back at their van. But when Baker mentioned to him that the couple was driving to Jackson Hole, which is the same area as Jackson, Laundry reportedly freaked out and asked the couple to pull over so he could get out of the car, which they did. Baker said they dropped him off near Jackson Dam. He said he was going to walk across the street to the parking lot, which was full of people, to continue hitchhiking, she added. In another video, Baker told Laundry allegedly told her that he and Gabby were camping on an unregulated campground along Snake River. He said that he had hiked for days along Snake River, but looking at his backpack, it wasn't full. She recalls in the video, he said all he had was a tarp to sleep on, which you think if you're going camping for days on end, you'd want food and a tent. And he had none of that. Baker later posted another video outlining the entire route they took and where they dropped off laundry. She also posted a screenshot of the text conversation she sent her mother after they had dropped him off. The TikToker also said she spoke to the police before publishing her videos. Joshua Taylor, a Northport police spokesperson, confirmed to The Independent that authorities had spoken to Baker about the incident. So uh, John Davis said he wanted to know if he had any stories about any haunt, uh, haunted serial killer stuff. He said his wife loves serial killers. In fact, she may kill him someday. But <laughs> okay, all right. Well, thanks, John. Well, oh, there's allegedly a guy in uh, the Hillsboro area who was yeah. said to have killed 30-something people. And on his birthday every year, he reveals another victim. And that's what's keeping him out of solitary confinement. And allegedly, the sheriff's department in that area is keeping him in the jail itself, not an actual uh, populated prison. Because he's worked out a deal to where on his birthday, he release, uh, releases the name of a new victim. And his property is said to be haunted by at least 17 victims. That, and he owned a uh, auto body shop, like a garage. And he was killing these people and burying them on the property of the garage and throughout different parts of, of the region. Which was, you said Hillsboro? Hillsboro. Yeah, Hillsboro, wow. yeah. This supposedly happened in the 80s, and he's still alive. And they're keeping him in the county uh, 
the sheriff's jail cell, essentially the prison there, not within uh, the regular population currently. Yeah, that's the story I've heard. <laughs> I'd like. Can we call them and say, "Hey, so and so there?" Because I'd like to interview? find out what's going on, man. <laughs> yeah, why is that guy not in prison? Yeah, the devil made them do it. Ten crimes blamed on demonic possession. It is part of accepted colloquial speech to blame personal tragedy or personal weakness on demons. When someone commits suicide, people often speak about the dead's battle with their own demons. When someone commits a foul, bloody deed, another set of demons are invoked, the kind that warp minds and force otherwise good and decent souls to carry out murder. Both the Christian and secular worldviews see demons as malefic parasites that destroy human goodness. They, of course, debate whether or not demons are real or just mental illness. Some criminals believe in demons, and some even believe in demons so much that they have blamed their behavior on demonic possession. The case of David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, is the most well-known example of a serial killer blaming a demon for their actions. In that case, Berkowitz blamed the demon that had possessed Sam, his neighbor's dog. The following ten cases are nowhere near as famous as the Son of Sam, but they all feature murderers and the demons that supposedly drove them to kill. For starters, the murder of Lauren Landavatsko. 13-year-old Lauren was walking with her friend, 13-year-old Michaela Smith, on September 2, 2006. The pair were walking home after school along a typically suburban footpath. At some point, the two girls were approached by a young man in a car. That man was 20-year-old Cody Lott. Lott would later give two explanations for why he did what he did that day. He was jealous because Landavasco seemed to have a boyfriend and the devil wanted him to do it. Regardless of which one is being the truth, Lott opened fire on both girls with a 22 rifle. Smith, who managed to survive the ambush, told police that Lott made eye contact with her first before pulling the trigger. Eyewitnesses also claimed that Lott shot Ladzanzatsko first before shooting her again after wounding Smith. At his 2018 trial, Lott repeated that it was the devil that helped him to plan the shooting. The prosecution struck the idea that Lott was mentally unstable and angry over his inability to find a romantic partner. In one of the weirder aspects of the trial, Lott's mother and stepfather sued the city of Wichita Falls, Texas, in order to retrieve the murder weapon. According to them, the twenty-two rifle that Lott had used in the murder had been stolen from their apartment. Lott was first at first found mentally unfit to stand trial and was sent to the maximum security unit of Texas Mental Hospital. Then, in September 2018, a Fort Worth jury found Lot guilty of the murder of Lauren Lavdazanko. Plus, they found him guilty of aggravated assault and the shooting of Michaela Smith. Lot, the man who claimed to have talked with the devil, was sentenced to life in prison. Number 9. The Attack on Peter Cherm According to his grieving family, 65-year-old Peter Cherm was a beloved father and grandfather. 
17-year-old Tommy Smith did not care about any of this. The only thing he cared about on February 24, 2015, was getting the keys to Cherm's Range Rover. When Cherm stepped in to stop the young punk from stealing his vehicle, Smith, who had already been convicted of a staggering 57 offenses, pulled out a knife and stabbed Cherm in the head, back, neck, chest, and arms. The stabbing attack was so frenzied that Smith actually snapped the 8-inch knife in two. Smith went on trial for attempted murder in March 2016. Smith told the Wolverhampton Crown Court that he was not responsible for his actions and he had been possessed by a demon on that terrible day. The court more than likely did not buy the possession story, but they did take into account that Smith had been previously diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. As such, he was cleared of the charge of attempted murder. He was, however, convicted of grievous bodily harm and burglary. Churm was in the courtroom for Smith's sentencing, despite being blind in one eye and having survived a serious stroke as a result of Smith's onslaught. Rather than a jail cell, Smith was sent to a secure mental hospital for an indefinite period of time. The failed exorcism of Michael Taylor is our number eight. Believe it or not, in our secular age, exorcisms are on the rise. Last year, it was reported that the Roman Catholic Church in the United States was seeing a rise in the overall number of exorcisms throughout the country. And unfortunately, there is a shortage of exorcists. And in a, of Indianapolis alone received 1,700 exorcism requests between January and December of 2019. But back in 1974, one year before the release of the classic film, The Exorcist, an exorcism was carried out in the sleepy town of Ossat, West Yorkshire, England. The possessed subject was one Michael Taylor, a 31-year-old married father of five children. Most who knew Taylor described him as a cheery fellow, although he was prone to fits of depression. Now and then, for the most part of these black moods, were the result of back injury and made it hard for Taylor to maintain steady employment. Things began to change in the Taylor household when they joined the Christian Fellowship Group, a local church organization the previously irreligious Michael began regularly attending church services. One of the reasons for his dramatic change was 21-year-old Marie Robinson, the group's preacher. Robinson convinced her congregation that the power of God could drive out their demons. Outside of these meetings, some in Osset began to claim that Robinson and Taylor were carrying out an affair. The more Taylor became involved with Robinson, the more his attitude began to change. The once chipper man became easily irritated and foul-tempered. Things came to a head when Taylor and Robinson were found naked together. Taylor blamed this on an evil presence within himself, and local Anglican vicar was called to perform an exorcism. During an all-night ceremony in October of 1974, the vicar, other ministers, apparently drove out 40 demons, including the demons of bestiality, incest, lewdness, and blasphemy. However, the exhausted clergyman decided to go home, even though they still believed that three demons, murder, violence, 
and insanity were still in Taylor. A few hours later, Taylor was found covered in blood, which he claimed belonged to Satan himself. The blood, in fact, belonged to his wife, Christine, those mutilated, whose mutilated body was later discovered in the Taylor home. Taylor was ultimately found not guilty by reason of insanity. Number seven, the murder of Angie Escobar. On September 10th, 2015, a body was discovered inside of an abandoned car in the Whitestone section of Queens, New York. The body belonged to 28-year-old Angie Escobar, who had died after being stabbed some 80 times. The medical examiner in the case found that Angie had been killed four days prior to her discovery. Before long, the New York Police Department zeroed in on a suspect, 31-year-old Luis Zambrano of Flushing, Queens. Zambrano was arrested on September 18th after fleeing to Virginia. Zambrano ultimately confessed to police that he had stabbed Escobar with a pair of scissors after the single mother admitted that she wanted to break off their relationship. In pleading guilty, Zambrano claimed that he had been possessed by a demon at the time of the murder. Zambrano also blamed trust issues for his actions. Number six, mommy is a killer. Elizabeta Plaskowatske of Naperville, Illinois, began hearing voices sometime before October 30th, 2012. These voices told Elizabeta that her child and one of her friends were possessed and needed to die in order to find salvation. Elizabeta gave in to these voices, and on October 30th, she killed seven-year-old Justin Plaskowatske and five-year-old Olivia Dwaraskowski, Justin was Elizabeth's son, while Olivia was spending the night in the Plasky Awaska family home. Number five, a frenzy of extreme violence. In Lutton, England, it's a rough place. Earlier in 2018, crime studies in the UK found that the city was one of the highest burglary rates in all of England and Wales. Lutton is also notorious as a popular home for some of the UK's most fearsome jihadists. As recently as July 2019, a 28-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman were arrested in the city and accused of carrying documents implicating them in a forthcoming terror attack. Lutton was the scene of a very different type of horror on May 26, 2015. That night, 32-year-old Jason Nelson, originally from Granada, went to the home of 20-year-old drug dealer Jordan McGuire. The goal was to buy weed. However, Nelson didn't buy anything that night. Instead, he stabbed McGuire several times before fleeing into the night. McGuire managed to cling to life long enough to die in the street like a dog. After the police apprehended the suspect, he claimed that demons were surrounding the men that he murdered and that the demons told him in order to free himself, he had to kill McGuire. Please hold for a word from our sponsor. The Devil on Trial. Brookline, Connecticut is the type of town where murder never happens. In fact, when 40-year-old Alan Bono was murdered on February 16, 1981, it was Brookline's first homicide since the town had been founded 193 years earlier. 
the guilty party had stabbed Bono more than 20 times with a common pocket knife. The killer was 19-year-old Arne Cheyenne Johnson. Went to trial, proclaiming a most unusual defense, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. The Devil App. In February 2019, police in Kalamazoo, Michigan, released the 2016 interrogation tapes of spree killer Jason Dalton. Dalton, 48, carried out one of the most inexplicable mass shootings in recent memory. On February 20th, 2016, Dalton, an Uber driver, shot and killed 62-year-old Mary Lou Nye and her sister-in-law, 60-year-old Joe Nye. 74-year-old Dorothy Judy Brown, 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne, and 53-year-old Richard Smith, and his 17-year-old son Tyler. In between some of these drive-by shootings, Dalton continued to pick up passengers and drop them off at their destinations. 14-year-old Abigail Kampf and 28-year-old Tina Carruthers were also shot during Dalton's rampage, but they managed to survive. During his interrogation, Dalton told detectives that Uber Mobile app began changing his personality. I know you guys are going to have a hard time believing this, but it literally took over my mind and body, Dalton told investigators. Cannibal Killers, number two. It is not easy to horrify the Russian public, but that is what happened in August 2008 in a forest outside of the city of Yarskolov. Four mutilated corpses were found. The bodies had been desecrated beyond belief. Plus, homicide investigators also learned that the victims, all of whom were teenage boys, had been robbed either before or after death. Still, despite this fact, the sheer brutality of the crime led investigators to believe that robbery was not the motive. Following a trial which was closed to the public due to the gruesome nature of the crime, 21-year-old Aga Balak was sentenced to 20 years in prison on charges of robbery, murder, and corpse desecration. The other five members of the robbery group, four boys and one girl, were given sentences that ranged from 8 to 10 years. They did these crimes in order to please Lucifer, they claimed. And number one, the strange case of serial killer Sean Sellers. At the tender age of 16, Sean Sellers was practicing Satanism. He regularly drank his own blood. According to Sellers himself, his descent into darkness began at around age seven. However, given his rough upbringing, one could say that Sellers was damned from the beginning. All of Sean's rage and humiliation exploded on March 5th of 1986. Wearing only a pair of black underwear, Sean crept into his parents' bedroom and shot both in the face. Sean would later state that he was angry at his mother because she disapproved of his girlfriend and the fact that he had dropped out of high school. Prior to the murders, Sean had carried out occult practice rituals. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Satan's Little Helpers. Crimes committed in the name of the devil. Picture a satanic ritual. There will be candles, there will be symbols possibly drawn in blood, and there might be some kind of sacrifice involved, goat or otherwise. It's an idea that's formed the basis for enough horror films. Then there are the times you see it play out in real life. If you look back over the crimes in the last century, some of the worst examples, including brutal murders and child abuse, will have Satan's name attached to them. And that's without having to go back to the Enlightenment era. The devil gave blame for a lot. It's an easy explanation for committing unspeakable acts. Satan made them do it. And in some of the most famous cases of satanic worship, it's simply not true. Take the West Memphis Three. Teenagers Damian Eccles, Jesse Miskelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin were arrested for the murder of three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. This was in 1993. The children were stripped, hogtied, and killed. Byers had been mutilated. It was a shocking crime that is still picked over today, and the motive was said to be Satanism, a ritualistic killing. But the only links between the teenagers and Satan appeared to be Eccles' history of mental illness and the teenagers' shared love of metal that went against the crucial influence of their Bible Belt town. The trial was reminiscent of the moralistic outrage that took over the 1980s in America with this whole satanic panic. Much of it was focused around McMartin's preschool case in 1983 when allegations of sexual abuse were made. A mother at the school made the initial charges of abuse after her son had problems with his bowel movements. The charges then escalated to accusations of flushing children down the toilet to secret rooms and reports of flying witches. The charges were only dropped in 1990 after a trial that had been going on since 1987 found no evidence of abuse or satanic ritual. It was the longest-running case in American history. But it's not all hype. There are cases of horrific abuse and murder that really are linked to Satanism. One of the world's most infamous serial killers, Richard Ramirez, was a Satanist, and partly responsible for hysteria in the 1980s. From 84 to 85, he would break into people's homes in the middle of the night. Once inside, he carried out brutal attacks that often involved rape and sodomy before murdering his victims by stabbing, beating, or shooting them. Ramirez was a Satanist and made some of his victims swear on Satan or swear they loved Satan during the attacks. At 17, as I mentioned before, the name Sean Sellers became the youngest person to be given the death penalty after it was reinstated in the 1970s. His crimes were murdering a shop clerk who refused to sell him beer, and later his parents before the murders, Sellers had immersed himself in Satanism, signaling his devotion by carrying a vial of fresh blood around his neck, which he would drink from, naturally. On the night of his parents' murder, Sellers had been performing his rituals. He later said he fell asleep and woke up to find his stepfather's gun in his own room. 
Sellers went into their bedroom and shot his stepfather then, and when she woke up, shot his mother in the face. Sellers' grandfather directed the police to him. Initially, he claimed to have no memory of the crimes, but later said he was two people, Sean and his demonic alter ego. Then there's the case of Michael Taylor, who in 1974 claimed to be possessed. Taylor lived in West Yorkshire with his wife. When she started behaving erratically, his visor agreed to exercise him. After hours of trying to expel the demonic spirits, Taylor was warned that a few demons still remained inside him. Quote, that was reason he then slaughtered his wife with his bare hands. He gouged out her eyes, pulled out her tongue, and almost tore her face off completely. He also strangled a dog. Taylor was sent to institutions for four years, but that's not where his story ends. In 2005, he was found guilty of indecently touching a teenage girl. Demonic possession, or rather mental illness, was also behind the murder of Gemma Finnegan by Daniel Johnson in 2013. Johnson, who was schizophrenic, met his partner Finnegan after he was released on probation from prison, having murdered a man in 1996. Finnegan had no idea. Johnson believed she was possessed by a demon and strangled her, beat and stabbed her to death. He was found wandering around a school in Newcastle covered in blood. A sex cult that cropped up in Wales in 2011 was also linked to the occult, led by its own high priest, Colin Bately, who enrolled his wife and two other adults. The cult operated out of the group's cul-de-sac. If um, it sounds gen genteel, the group raped and assaulted children and teenagers, enlisting some into prostitution from that very place. The group practiced occult rituals and writings, but were not technically Satanists, following the teachings of English occultist Aleister Crowley. In fact, 148 crimes were reported to the Metropolitan Police between 2004 and 2014 that involved witchcraft or ritualistic killings. And it continues. Earlier in 2015, two schoolgirls in America were arrested after they were found carrying weapons. The pair allegedly confessed to a plan that included drinking other children's blood and possibly eating their flesh. What could make two preteen girls plan something so awful? They said they wanted to be with Satan. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available. And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book 
and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Hi, on this episode of Paranormally Speaking, I'm discussing serial killers and what makes normal men go mad if they were ever normal to begin with. Statistics show us on average we encounter, whether it be drive by, walk by, uh, make eye contact with or talk to at least seven psychopaths. And that's a broad range, uh, seven people out of however many dozens or hundreds of people we encounter a day. That's co-workers, family, uh, strangers, acquaintances. That could be anyone. And what drives what we perceive as normal people to become monsters and kill others, uh, such as the case with Gabby Petito, where her fiancé conveniently comes back home disappears without a trace after it starts to get too hot for him when she is presumed missing. And he's gone now. And they can't get any answers from his family or his attorney. They're not talking to anyone. And he refused to talk to anyone. And somehow, they did not come down hard enough, fast enough, to trap that rat and figure out what the hell happened to Gabby. And it was announced just today as I'm laying down the tracks for this episode that there is a body that has been discovered in one of the wilderness parks visited, visited by Gabby and her fiancé. A body that was discovered that is presumed to be hers. Nothing has been revealed yet, whether or not it is indeed Gabby. But it's not looking too good. And it's it's really, it's maddening. It's a lot like that encounter, that issue, the story of the husband who was having an affair on his wife. And so he decided to kill his two daughters and his pregnant wife and unborn child and shove their bodies in a fuel reservoir tank and try to hide it. And even went to help and search for the missing daughters and the missing wife. And aided in that, acted as if he was really concerned and wanted them to come back. All the while, he's the one that killed them. Now, Gabby's still missing. She was last heard from by her family in late August. And she had a strong social media presence. Now, her fiancé, who conveniently came back with a story full of more holes than Swiss cheese, has disappeared. He's not been seen since Tuesday, September, I believe it was the 16th, 2021, and he's still missing. No one really seems to be looking for him hard enough, in my opinion. And we have a whole array of murder podcasts and true crime podcasts. And even though I'm not of that genre, really, I'm, I tie it in with uh, the paranormal. Not to say that anything paranormal pertained to the disappearance of Gabby. But all in all, this episode's about that and serial killers 
and true crime. What drives men to become monsters? I'm Neil Parks. Please hold as I present to you a word from my sponsor. Police and the FBI are now looking for laundry as well as Petito, according to a statement from Northport Police Department. On Friday evening, Laundry's family summoned authorities to the house. Laundry and Petito shared with Laundry's parents before embarking on their road trip. Saying they wanted to talk about the disappearance of their son, the family claims that they had not seen Laundry since Tuesday. For six days, the Northport FBI and police department have been pleading with the family to contact investigators regarding Brian's fiance, Gabby Petito. The statement said in part, Friday is the first time they have spoken with investigators in detail. Officials also emphasize that Laundry is a person of interest in Petito's disappearance, but not wanted for a crime. We are not currently working a crime investigation. We are now working a multiple missing persons investigation, the statement said. A lawyer for Petito's family released a statement as well, saying all of Gabby's family want the world to know that Brian is not missing. He is hiding. Gabby is the one who's missing. And like I said earlier in this episode, there was news that came out today that a body was discovered at one of the parks that they had stayed at, one of the wilderness areas, Wildlife Reserve, and it was confirmed to be hers. And that's all I have for this episode. Once again, thank you for joining me. And keep an eye on those around you, because it's getting harder and harder to identify the monsters among men until it's too late. Thank you so much for listening. This is Neil Parks, signing off. Down to see.